Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. When the real Jesus shows up, won't be any problem recognizing. When the real Jesus shows up, everybody will know that the real sheriff is in town. But it will be a terrible time. The world we live in today, terrorist attacks, financial upheaval, and public unrest. These are just a few of the events that make our world today uncertain and maybe a little scary. What does it all mean? Maybe most important of all, are we moving into the end times? God's not really big on suspense thrillers. God's been giving this thing away. Matter of fact, God began giving this thing away in Genesis chapter 3, and he's been giving it away ever since. Ever since, he's basically been saying, I'm God. I've got a plan to redeem my people from their sin. And when that plan is complete, I'm going to crush the enemy for all time and establish my kingdom on this earth. Hello, and welcome to Crosswalk. If you were with us last week, you know that we moved into chapter 13 of the book of Mark in our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. Chapter 13 records a conversation between Jesus and some of his disciples about signs and events that would lead up to and be a part of the end times. Today, Pastor Clay is taking us further into Mark chapter 13 as we look at verses 14 through 23 and a further description of events that will take place during the tribulation period. To be sure, it's going to be a time unlike any the world has experienced. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. There are some texts, and this happens to be one of them, that does not necessarily lend itself so much to practical application. Now listen to me, that doesn't mean it's not important. Did y'all hear that? Back there in the back, y'all hear that? That doesn't necessarily mean it's not important. It just means that there's maybe not as much, you know, okay, here's your three steps to this or here's that. When you're dealing with the text as we are today, that, that is dealing with end times prophecy, and specifically, end times prophecy that is almost completely for the nation of Israel, and we are not the nation of Israel, um, then, then the application for us is just not, it's just not necessarily there. Again, it doesn't mean we don't need to learn it. It doesn't mean we don't need to know it. So maybe the application, maybe I can just give you the application right up front. Maybe the application is simply this. Be ready. Uh, because the end is coming. The end is coming. We, there are going to be end times. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you uh, believe you will be here during those end times or not, it will be a matter of your eschatological view. It will be a matter of your end times view. If you happen to believe that the church will be raptured, snatched out prior to this, these end time events, then, um, then you're golden. <laughs> that had happens to be my view. But it's not everybody's view. Some people believe that the church will experience this tribulation period that we will be talking about today. That the church will go through the tribulation period. I'm, I'm praying for those people that hold that view. But no, can I, can I just, let me just say this. This is nothing to do with sermon, but, but as long as I'm on this, uh, some theological perspectives in scripture uh, can be argued either way. Not all of them are uh, crystal clear. Some are. Many are. Most are. 
but not all of them dealing with certain things. And some of those have to do with the end time events. The, the, the truth is arguments can be made, I believe, for the taking out of the church prior to the tribulation period. And arguments can be made for the church still being here during the time of the tribulation period. I, I, I don't care. I mean, I want to go. You know, I just do not be here. But what I'm saying is I'm going to follow Jesus. Okay, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus uh, no matter what. And so uh, a, a an issue like that where people may have different theological views is not an issue worth breaking fellowship over. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Open your Bibles this morning, electronic version, hard copy, whatever you've got. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 13, and we are reading this morning verses 14 through uh, 23. Mark 13, 14 through 23. You opening it? Come on now, follow along. You, you don't even have to take notes today, so you might as well open your Bibles and follow follow along. No, you can still write in between and stuff if, if you want to. I wonder if my cane will stay like that if I keep setting it like that. Okay. Okay, so we're all understanding. All right, he's not going to have a lot of application in this, but he's got a lot to, to say about this, and it's information that hopefully will, will at least encourage us about God's plan. Okay? All right. Thank you. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house, and the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat, but woe to those who are pregnant. And to those who are nursing babies in those days, but pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created, until now, and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose... He shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. Would you pray with me? This morning, Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here again. There, there truly is like Barry and I were talking about a few moments ago. Uh, there is no place on earth I'd rather be than right here, right now, with the people of Cross Culture Church. And as Barry reminded me that, that saying that I, that I sometimes like to say, um, I, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. It is a privilege to be here today. There are many places in the world where people do not have the privilege uh, because of of restrictions by their government or uh, dominant religious views or whatever the reason might be. Uh, and so I'm grateful that we can be here. I get to do this. I get to gather with other people and sing praises to your name and, and open your word freely and study your word. Father, would you uh, just speak to our hearts and lives today as I've already shared with your people. There's not necessarily a specific practical application, but would you make application into our hearts and our lives? I've already uh, this week been praying uh, for these people in this room and those who will listen to this message uh, later on, that their, that their minds, their ears, their hearts, their spirits would be open to receive 
this information and that you uh, would make the application necessary for our lives. Thank you for each person who has taken the time to be here of their own free will uh, in order to honor you and hopefully to grow in you so that they might be able to better represent you to the world around us. And we ask these things today in the strong name of our Savior. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's get to uh, uh, the first lesson. Lesson number one. The Antichrist is going to break the peace treaty. That very first part of verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Uh, This phrase, abomination of desolation, is a term, it's it's a phrase that comes from a prophecy found in the Old Testament in the book of, anybody know? Daniel. Uh, in the book of Daniel, this is where we find this phrase, abomination of desolation. As a matter of fact, in, we're reading Mark's version, uh, account of, of this teaching by Jesus. In Matthew's version of this teaching, Matthew specifically mentions that it comes from Daniel. Mark didn't mention that, but that's okay. Uh, Matthew specifically mentions it when he says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, Standing in the holy place, and there's that little parenthesis, that phrase again, let the reader understand. So Jesus clearly makes reference, he's talking about a prophecy that was given by the prophet Daniel uh, approximately five to six hundred years before the time of Christ. Uh, Daniel makes this, this reference to this abomination of desolation, and the the reference actually is found in Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel chapter 11, I think in verse 26, something like, no, 31, it says, Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice. And they will set up the abomination of desolation. That's where the phrase occurs. Jesus uses it here in Mark chapter 13 and and in Matthew and and Luke records the account as well. But uh, clearly Jesus is referring to Daniel's prophecy. And Daniel says in this prophecy that forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, uh, do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Now, it's okay if you don't remember this. Uh, because it's been a couple of years since we did it, and, and some of you weren't even with us then. But uh, a couple of years ago, we went through the book of Daniel. We spent a year walking through the book of Daniel. And we, we came to this prophecy in Daniel chapter 11. We talked about this prophecy in Daniel chapter 11. It's okay if you don't remember it, but perhaps for some of you, if you were here, some of this may come back to you. But we know that Daniel's prophecy came true in, um, I think it was about 167... Uh, B.C., when a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, anybody remember that name? Antiochus, uh, Epiphanes is really a title that he gave to himself, but a guy by the name Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 B.C., so it's after Daniel, after Daniel's given the prophecy, but before the time of Jesus, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the ruler of what, what's known as the Seleucid dynasty. It doesn't really matter, but it was the Syrian empire, Syrian dynasty. They came down and they, they conquered Israel. They came into Jerusalem and Antiochus uh, came into the temple. He stopped the regular, the, the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, we're all on the same page. He stopped 
the sacrifice, the regular sacrifice that the Jews were doing there. He set up a statue to uh, the, the Greek god Zeus, and he poured the blood of a pig out on the altar of God. He desecrated the temple. It was the abomination of desolation. So we know historically, it's a matter of historical record, we know that Daniel's prophecy came true in 167 B.C. when, when Antiochus went in and desecrated the temple. It came true just as Daniel said that it would take place, okay? But whether Daniel was fully aware of it when he gave the prophecy or not, maybe not quite or totally clear whether he was totally aware of it or not, but Jesus, now reading in Mark 13 and in Matthew's text, Jesus now tells us that Daniel's prophecy actually has a a double meaning or a double application, Because Jesus refers to an abomination of desolation that will take place in the future. Are you still with me? He, He talks about an abomination of desolation, a desecrating of the temple that will take place in the future. Well, how do you know it's in the future? We know it's in the future really for a couple of pretty obvious reasons. One, uh... Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple, as I said, in 167 B.C., a couple of hundred years before Jesus makes this statement. So Jesus can't be talking about that statement since he's speaking in the future tense when he says that there, when you see the abomination of desolation. So uh, Antiochus' abomination has already taken place, so he can't be talking about that. We also know uh, that it's talking about a future event because of the context in which Jesus makes his statement. The context in which he makes his statement is this. His disciples have come to him and they've asked him what? They've asked him about the end times. They've asked him about the future events, what will take place in the, at the end of time, right? We looked at that last week. So in the context of Jesus making the statement, he's referring to end times. So This abomination of desolation that he talks about is an event that will take place at the end of time. Okay? Now, we go to, and John read from the book of Revelation this morning in our worship, from Revelation chapter 22. The book of Revelation is the place that we that we usually go for the majority of information dealing with the end times. The book of Daniel is crucial, the book of Ezekiel, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this part we're looking at here in Matthew 24 and here in Mark 13. All of that deals and gives us information about the end times. But when you really want to know the most and get the most detail and all that kind of stuff, the book of Revelation is what God has given to us to reveal events about the end times for us to look at. John, the writer of the book of Revelation uses a lot of symbolism, right? If you've ever read any of it, you know there's a lot of symbolism in there in the book of Revelation. He's trying to describe what God is showing to him and the persons that he's revealing to him. And so he uses a lot of symbolism in his writing. And that makes the book of Revelation a difficult book to study. But, to say this to you again, just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't study it. And I'm so afraid, I'm just going to tell you this, I'm so afraid that we are living in a culture more and more that is turning its back on information if it's too hard to receive. Oh, it's just, I can't study that, that's too hard. So just because it's hard doesn't need, need. so the book of Revelation is is a great resource and great source of, of information. But when we're dealing with what Jesus is teaching here in Mark chapter 13, as I said a moment ago, he takes it from Daniel chapter 11. But... 
some of the information about the desol- the, the, this desolation that will take place, uh, this desecration of the temple, some of the information is also given in Daniel chapter 9. And in Daniel chapter 9, we find what is referred to as Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Anybody remember that if you were in the study a couple of years ago? Oh, by the way, in the study in, in, uh, the, when I referred to the book of Revelation, uh, back in 2010, and I don't know if this is available or not, Rick or, or Tyler might tell us whether this is available online or not, but back in 2010, we spent a year in the book of Revelation. I actually went a couple weeks into 2011. So you might want to use that as a resource to go back if you want to study the book of Revelation and, and look at that. But in Daniel chapter 9, we find some more information about this abomination of desolation. We find a little more detail about it. He doesn't specifically use that term. It doesn't show up till Daniel chapter 11, but he's clearly talking about that event. And in Daniel chapter 9, he begins to describe some of the events that will take place. And he, he gets into this thing that we call the Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Say that with me. Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Say it one more time. Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Okay. In Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy... Uh, let me, well, let me just start with this. Weeks, it, it, this 70 weeks, uh, it can also be referred to, and in some translations refer to it as 70 sets of seven. Okay? 70 weeks, it means the same thing. And, and like I said, some translations will actually translate it rather than 70 weeks. They'll say 70 sets of seven. So 70 weeks can mean 70 sets of seven. Daniel, in his prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, we'll look at it in a minute, but he separates all right, he divides 69 weeks and one week, all right, to make this, that 70th week. He takes 69 weeks, he talks about them, and then there is, this, there is this time gap of an unspecified amount of time, and then the 70th week. You still with me? All right, so the 69 weeks, the, the, and then the 70th week. In Daniel's prophecy, the uh, weeks... Uh, stands for or equals seven years. I don't have time to really explain why weeks mean seven years, but you can go back and try and find that Daniel study as well. But uh, in Daniel's prophecy, a week, one week in his prophecy equals seven years. Remember, it's seventy. It's a set of sevens. In this case, it happens to be a set of seven years. So, sixty-nine sets of seven years. You got me. And then this 70th, this one set of seven years. The 69 sets of seven years, Daniel explains is a prophecy about when the Messiah would come. And who's the Messiah? Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Savior. It all means the same thing. When he would come and when he would be cut off, when, when he would be killed. It is a fascinating uh, uh, prophecy. Uh, because Daniel says, and uh, we don't have time to look at all of it, but Daniel says, from the time the order is issued to the rebuild the temple, and we know historically when that was, but from when the time that that order is given till the time cut off will be 69 weeks, or 69 sets of seven years. If you do the math, if you're into that kind of thing and you do the math, it is amazingly accurate how it comes out to precisely the time, the year that Jesus Christ was crucified. It's an amazingly accurate passage of Scripture and prophecy, and it 
should be an encouragement to us that this is just one more piece of evidence that Jesus really was the Messiah. He wasn't just one of the He actually was the Messiah. He did fulfill all the prophecies, and this is one of the prophecies that he would have fulfilled. Then, as I said a moment ago, then comes this, this time gap of unspecified amount of time. Guess when that time is? That's right. We are living in that time gap because we know when Christ came, we know when he was crucified, we know when he died, and so since then has been this gap. God has not been dealing with the nation of Israel. Remember, 70 weeks, how he's going to deal with the nation of Israel at the end. He's not been dealing with them. You and I are living in the time gap of an unspecified amount of time. It it could end tomorrow, it could end 20 years, I, I don't know. Then, that 70th week, which is how long? Seven years, That's what Jesus is referring to in Mark chapter 13 when he begins to talk about this 70th week of of Daniel's prophecy and God dealing with the nation of Israel. And one of the things that we learn in in that is that the Antichrist will, well, let's look at it. uh, Daniel chapter 9, let's look at the passage. The ruler will make a treaty with the people, in, in the context, who's the people? Israel, that's right, the nation of Israel. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. How long is that? Seven years. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration... Until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Oh man, you gave away the ending. Yeah, God's not really big on suspense thrillers. If you haven't, if you haven't got a hold of that one yet. God's been giving this thing away. Matter of fact, God began giving this thing away in Genesis chapter 3. And he's been giving it away ever since. Ever since, he's basically been saying, I'm God. I've got a plan to redeem my people from their sin. And when that plan is complete, I'm going to crush the enemy for all time and establish my kingdom on this earth, as John made reference to this morning. Uh, There you go. That's basically what God's been giving away uh, since virtually the beginning. But but isn't it interesting that 2,500 years ago, you know, we, I know it's hard for us in the context to, 2,500 years, but as a nation, we're like, what are we now, 250 years old or 40 years or something, however old we are, Um, and we think that's a long time. 2,500 years ago, Daniel gives this prophecy, and he he says that that there'll come this time when this guy that Daniel refers to as the ruler, the book of Revelation reveals to us this is, who, you know, the Antichrist, that the Antichrist will set up a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. And that halfway through that peace treaty, he will break it. He will set up this idol, and basically it's this desecration of the temple all over again. Now, what does all that mean? Okay, Antichrist is going to break the peace treaty. Okay, what does that mean? Not not as much practical application, like I said, but what what does it at least mean uh, to us as we look at it? Well, it, it does tell us that that there is going to be a peace treaty between the nation of Israel and this Antichrist when he comes into power during this literal seven-year period of, of time, that they will establish this treaty between the two of them. I think that's interesting. Uh, 
it's, it's sad in a way that Israel rejected the true Prince of Peace, the true Messiah, the true Prince of Peace when he came. They rejected him, but they will accept this false Messiah because they will believe that he can bring them some type of, of peace to their world. And, and if you know anything, if you watch the nightly news, right, you, you know that, that Israel has been in turmoil, been in conflict with nations around it since, since it became a nation again in 1948. It really hasn't stopped since then. But, but there will be a peace treaty. Uh, Daniel's prophecy and Jesus' reference to it also tells us that there will be a temple in Jerusalem, right? You've got to have a temple to be desecrated. If there's gonna, you can't desecrate what's not there. Now, that's interesting. Why? Because there currently is not a temple in Jerusalem. I don't know if you're all aware of that or not, but there is not a Jewish temple in the city of Jerusalem. Their temple mount is still there. The place where the temple stood is still there. But instead of a te- temple to the, to the one true God, instead today uh, the, the Muslims have a, a sacred place of their own on, built on that very site known as the Dome of the Rock or referred to as the Dome of the Rock. Uh, it, is, it sits where the Jewish temple once sat. Now, that means... <laughs> something's got to happen. Something's got to change between now, today, right now, and the time that Jesus refers to in Mark chapter 13. Somewhere along the way, the Dome of the Rock is going to go away, and a new temple for the Jews will be constructed. Now, I don't know, but I'm just guessing that's not going to go over real well in the Muslim world. And maybe, again, speculation, but maybe that's even part of the very reason why Israel will need to sign this peace treaty with the Antichrist because maybe, maybe this will happen and they come down hard on them and he somehow is able to secure peace between them and their enemies. But in any event, there is not a temple there now and there's going to have to be a temple there at some point for this to happen. And then Daniel's prophecy and, and Jesus' warning about it uh, just basically also tells us that that in the end the antichrist will will do really what he's intended to do all the time it's it's all satanic it's it's this desire to to take to rob the 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 glory and the worship that's always intended for the one true god to steal that for himself that's what he will attempt to do he will he will break the treaty he will set up uh, an idol of himself in there and he will demand that the people of Israel bow down and worship him as their god listen to me Israel was wrong the nation of Israel was wrong when they rejected Jesus as their messiah and Israel will be wrong when they accept this peace treaty with the antichrist but Israel will not get this one wrong For when he desecrates the temple and demands that they worship him, they will reject his offer. They will reject his demand to worship him. And when that happens, second lesson, Israel better break and run. When that occurs, when that event happens, when the peace treaty is broken, how far into the tribulation period? Three and a half years, halfway into the tribulation period, It says, again, just that latter part of verse 14, then those who are in Judea 
must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go out to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. Listen, Jesus, Jesus' comments are not a condemnation of Israel. They're not a judgment on Israel. They're a warning to Israel that when this happens, it will happen suddenly and that Israel, the, the people, the Jewish people, will have to flee from the, from the onslaught of the Antichrist, from what he will bring down on them. And listen, the tribulation period, if you read about it, particularly in the book of Revelation, you know it's, it's not going to be a picnic for anybody who is here. It is going to be a terrible time for all those here. But it will be particularly difficult on the nation of Israel. Because they will reject the Antichrist, as I said, the Antichrist commandment for them to worship him. Most of the world will, most of the world will embrace the Antichrist. Most of the world will recognize him as their God and bow down and worship him. Israel will not. And at that point, literally, all hell will break loose and Israel better break and run. They will have to flee. You know, I was thinking about this when I was working on this text I don't think I'd ever thought about it before, but it's just interesting to me that God uh, took Israel out into the wilderness uh, when he brought them out of slavery to Egypt to to reveal himself to them so they could learn about him. And God will do the very same thing at the end of time when he'll take them into the wilderness again, delivering them from slavery to the Antichrist to reveal himself once more. Because remember, they've rejected Christ. They didn't see the Messiah. They didn't, they didn't get that Jesus was the Messiah. They've got to learn that, and God's going to take them out uh, into the wilderness again during this time. And it will not be a good time. I don't have a lot to say about this. It's pretty self-explanatory, except to say that Israel will face a difficult, difficult time. As anybody living in that time will, but the nation of Israel will particularly face uh, the wrath of the Antichrist, which then, uh, let me just give you the last lesson, kind of connect it to that. God will break the rebellion. Verse 19 says this, for those days will be a time of tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never will. Now, I've mentioned this last week, but just if you think about all the disasters, all the wars, all the millions of people who have, who have been killed through pestilence and disease and famine and wars and, and all those things. And, and Jesus here makes this, this statement. He says, it's nothing, anything is nothing compared to what will go on during those, those last seven years and particularly the last half of those last seven years. In verse 20, as a matter of fact, it says, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved at all. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days And then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. Uh, Jesus again comes back to this this warning about watching out for false Christs. We talked about that last week and the sense that there are many false Christs today, many with a false message, many with a false hope and all that sort of thing. But apparently, even to the nation of Israel, even in the latter half of the tribulation period, there will still be those coming along saying, hey, you know, follow me or I've got the answer. I'm I'm sure part of that will be the Antichrist, but, but apparently there'll be several. But as I said last week, 
you can, you can put this down. When the real Jesus shows up, won't be any problem recognizing him. When the real Jesus shows up, everybody will know that the real, that, that the real sheriff is in town. There, there won't be any problem recognizing him. But it will be a terrible, terrible time. I, I don't know how many people will die during this, this tribulation period. But I, I think it's easy to say that it will be billions. There are 7 billion people on this planet today. And verse 20 says that, that if God had not intervened, and remember, God's had this plan from the beginning. He knows exactly when this whole thing ends and when he winds it up. If God had not intervened, there would have not been any life left on this earth during that, that time, whenever that time will, will come and when it will be. War and famine and disease and pestilence, all of it, as quite honestly, the wrath of God is poured out on a world that has, for the most part, rejected him. And God will break the rebellion. He will restore this earth to its purpose in the beginning. He will restore uh, those who put their trust in him to this, to this place of eternity that, that John again referred to and we read in Revelation chapter uh, 22. He will break the rebellion that in, in began all the way back in, in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve uh, chose to believe the lie and rejected God. And really it goes farther back than that to when the time when Satan uh, believed his own lie and rejected the, the glory of God and and a third of the angelic host fell with him, according to Scripture. God will break it. He will break that rebellion. But it will be a devastating time. And can I say this? Even those who are believers, those who are followers of Jesus Christ during that time, and whoever, whether you believe that that will be the church, whether you believe that will be those who come to faith during the tribulation, again, but can I, I just, well, let's look at it. Revelation chapter 7. This After these things I looked... And behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then one of the elders answered saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And for this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There's, a ref- there's references in there to what, what they will experience during the tribulation and the, uh, the, the horrible experience that they will have. But for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, there is this promise that someday God will deliver them from all of that, and they will stand before the throne of God. Never again to hunger, never again to thirst, never again to, to fear for their very lives, for the, for the glory of God, the kingdom of God will be established forever and ever. The tribulation period is coming. I don't know when. I know that, that end times is an event that, that everybody is interested in and infatuated in. Hollywood has made numerous versions of, of uh, their idea of the end times. 
I don't know how, we, we don't have every minutia of detail in here in the scriptures, but what we have is enough information to know, again, that the outcome is never in doubt. God will crush the rebellion. He will establish his kingdom on this earth. And, with this we close, and he is inviting before that time comes, as I said, I don't know when the tribulation will be. What I do know is that today, right now, God is inviting anyone and everyone to bend their knee now and recognize him as God. And not themselves and not anything in the world, but to say, no, Lord, you are God. And I believe that you sent your son to die for my sins that I'm guilty of. God, would you forgive me? Would you be my Lord and my Savior? God invites people to do that even today in this place. If you're uncertain of your eternal destination, God is inviting you to do that. And he is inviting us, listen to me, to join him in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ so that that those in a relationship with Jesus Christ would not have to fear that great and terrible day of the Lord, but could trust in Him and know that God will accomplish His purposes and His plans. You are personally invited and responsible to join Him in sharing the good news. Well, that certainly was a lot to take in today. Understanding the context when studying the Bible is always important. But understanding the context when studying passages dealing with the end times is crucial for a proper interpretation and understanding of the events that will unfold. As Pastor Clay explained today, the tribulation period will be a terrible time for all of those living on the earth. But the Antichrist is going to be particularly vengeful toward the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. But as we heard today, God is going to break the rebellion against him and bring an end to the Antichrist's days. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I get it as available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where you're 
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.